Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Gabriel Talks Football. My name is Aldo Gandia, and I just want to let you know before I bring Greg in that we've got another heavy-duty week of Bears coverage this week, and it always starts with Greg Gabriel talking football. But uh, as the week goes on, we've got tons of show shows, and it will continue on through January and beyond, and um, we've got you covered. New, fresh programming Monday through – or Sunday through Friday. So uh, uh, buckle up. It's going to be a heck of a year. Let me bring Greg in now. Greg Gabriel, how are you, my friend? I'm real good. What the hell is wrong with Saturday? You take a day off or something? <laughs> I have to, man. <laughs> That's why I went on vacation a couple of weeks ago. I, I was you got, you got your vacation in. This, you know. <laughs> Listen, if somebody wants to do a show for the Barroom Network on Saturday, I'll give them the keys to the barroom. Go at it. <laughs> There's a lot going on. We've got some exciting new shows uh, that we'll be talking about in the near future. But right now, it is time to talk Chicago Bears football. And by the way, Greg, you're feeling well. I understand uh, that your lovely bride is uh, a little under the weather. Yeah, a little, a little bit of the uh, corona. Uh, but hey, you know, it happens. But uh, she's, she's yeah, but here, here's the best part. You know who she got it from? A doctor. Oh, jeez! <laughs> irony of irony. On, on an appointment. Oh my goodness, that is I, I, it's hilarious. Oh, so my buddy sent me a text. He used to in our neighbor up the street. He says. You avoid that shit for two and a half years, and then you go to the doctor and you get it. <laughs> that, that is uh, so sad. Man. I know. <laughs> oh, Lordy. All right. Uh, I want to let's begin by talking about Tevin Jenkins. He's one of the big pieces of news that has emerged from camp. And uh, David Kaplan threw some fire on the wood uh, when he said the following. Where's my video clip? <laughs> there it is. When he said the following about Tevin Jenkins on his show, Recap. From what I'm hearing, it is not a serious injury. What I'm hearing is there is a high level of disconnect between Tevin and the new coaching staff, especially Chris Morgan, the new offensive line coach. That means you have a highly immature player who's got a lot of talent as one person who would know close to the team said to me he's their most talented lineman but i'm also hearing he's wildly immature what are you hearing greg gabriel not buying all that okay um yeah is does he have some maturity problems probably i i know of at least two teams that you know, had red flags on them. And, and that was the reason they had the red flags. And it was a, and it wasn't a personal character thing. It was more a football character. And, um, you know, called them more pseudo tough than really tough, mm -hmm. uh, things like that. But you know what? I never made a school call, so I, I can't answer the question. You know, nobody said that to me directly. Mm -hmm. I, I got it. Um, you know, from, from some good sources, but you know, the information I believe is what I hear myself when I'm doing the, uh, the actual investigating, so to speak uh, on players when I made school calls, but uh, Cap's right about one thing. He's very, very talented. Mm -hmm. uh, there is an injury. I don't know what the injury is. They don't have to tell you what the injury is. And frankly, I like that idea. The media hates it. 
media oh, yeah. absolutely hates it. But it's been 10 years now, and I tweeted that out last week. It's been right. 10 years now that the league said you are you do not have to. If you want to disclose the injury, you can, but mm-hmm. you don't have to. And, and the reason for that being is you don't want to give your opponents – any type of competitive advantage, you know, even if, you know, if a guy tweaks his knee, twists his ankle, pulls the hamstring or whatever, you know, it's just something, especially if you're playing that person early in the year, you can set your game plan. If it's a key player, you can set your game plan to go after that guy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, until you get into week one of the regular season, you don't have to disclose anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the one of the things about Tevin Jenkins that is concerning is the fact that he has, at, at the very least, a really bad run of luck. I mean, uh, what happened to him last season, suffering a back injury, that was not related to the back injury he had in college. Uh, and now this mysterious element. And then when he did play, he was humiliated publicly by a teammate who pushed him around because he got a, uh, a penalty and he clearly wasn't ready to play last. Yeah, but in, in fairness, there was, there was people that stood up for him for that too. Yes, because, and especially the new GM yeah. because he was the only guy who went in to protect the quarterback. Yeah. And you yeah. notice the guy who, who was pulling him away is no longer here. Mm-hmm. You know, so there, there's two, there's two sides to every story all the time. Absolutely. You know what? And, and, and you just got to let things play out. Um, I'm not doubting that he's hurt. Uh, I'm not doubting his talent. There's something missing. What mm-hmm. the hell that is. You know, I went back and looked at it just out of curiosity. I went back and looked at some game tape from his uh, last year at Oklahoma state and he can be a dominating player. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if he, he may lack some toughness, but he doesn't show it on the football field. He gets after people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Sam. So Rush- maybe it's mental toughness. You know that part. I can't. I can't tell you. Yeah. Well. Yeah. And, and and one of the reasons he was brought in was because he's got a mean streak on him. So it is kind of weird if if that is a an issue. But uh, he again, uh, Sam Rush. It does appear that he is on the sidelines because of an injury and not because of immaturity. Uh, how serious is this injury? What is the injury? We don't know. Nobody knows. Right now. If you listen to the flus. Uh, give his uh, presser today after practice. Mm-hmm. You know, he he said, "Yeah, he's still out. He's still dealing with the trainers." And then he said, well, "The guy who's going to be out a little while is is Graham." In fact, then he went on probably a little slip of the tongue, and he goes, "Oh, he's got a hamstring issue." Mm-hmm. So he broke his own rule by telling <laughs> exactly you know, what, what the hell the injury was. But um, <laughs> so you know, hamstrings could be a few weeks. Mm-hmm. And uh, and sometimes more, depending on the seriousness of the injury. Trust me, I know I had my fair share of those things. Mm-hmm. And how about this though? And and this goes back to you know working with Rusty Jones for a long time. Is that the majority of hamstring injuries aren't well? Yeah, technically they're an overexertion of the muscle, but it's caused because you're not hydrated enough. Mm-hmm. Not enough fluids, and so then they pull. He said that there's one injury that pisses him off more than anything else. It's a hamstring pull. Mm-hmm. He yeah, goes yeah. because you don't need to have them. Mm-hmm. If you tip, you know, if if you take care of yourself, 
as far as nourishment and, and water and fluids, you'll never pull a hamstring. Is that why you're always drinking water? <laughs> well, I, I tell you, I used I didn't know that when I was younger. I bet you I had six hamstring pulls. Oh, man. <laughs> I got a massage earlier uh, this morning, and my masseuse says, oh, your hamstrings are always so tight. You make me work for my money. <laughs> and I go, oh, shut up. I'll tell you, the first one I ever got was um, my senior year in high school, and it was in a track event. I was doing the long jump. Mm-hmm. And I used to push off on my right leg somewhere with, you know, with their left leg. And I, you know, sprinted and I had just jumped my personal high school record, the jump of four. So I'm going all out to beat it. And I was still in second place to one of my teammates mm-hmm. in that meet, but the head of the, the uh, other school. And so I plant my right foot on the board, push off and boom, that was it. I was done. I mean, because it was near the end of the season, and I didn't finish out the season. Yeah, that, that was the first one. The that first was one. the first one. Wow, not fun. By the way, what you just said also reminded me of. Um, I'm now I'm going to butcher his first name. Al Khalid, Al Khalid Muhammad. Al- oh, it's not Al Khalid. <laughs> There you go. Um, he said something, <laughs> um, he said something uh, today that I was really impressed with uh, when he was asked, um, you know, how is it difficult for him to rev up to go hard in practice because he has been complimented by teammates and and uh, coaches for how hard he goes in practice. And he said, no, this is something that I've always done all of my life. I started as a kid, going hard in practice all the time because I never wanted to get into that mentality of saying to myself, I need to go hard today because it's just automatic. I go hard all the time. And I love that type of mentality. That's the type of mentality I think every player should have for every second that they're out there on that football field. Go hard every day, never give up. And uh, this guy is going to be a fantastic locker room presence. And I, and I apologize for screwing up. Well, I, 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 so, you know, he had and, – and this is a guy that I know who he was going back to high school. He went to a, one of the top Catholic – private high schools in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not sure if he had committed to Notre Dame or was close to committing or whatever, but something happened and both sides went their separate ways. He ended up down at Miami. He had a couple issues while he was down at Miami. But, you know, eight, 17, 18-year-old kid, maturity stuff more than anything else. And you know, he, he, he's grown up and because of it. I think he was a free agent or a real late draft pick, mm-hmm. you know, originally coming out. But the talent, it was like a second uh, round talent when he was coming out. But because of the other stuff, he got dropped lower. But, you know, he got played well for the Colts um, and he uh, got paid coming here. I mean, he, he still hasn't hit a home run, but he's hit at least a double. And he's still young. He's still young enough to get another big contract in the league. Uh, Matthew Fochizi asks, "What are your thoughts on the center position now that Luke Patrick, the starter, is down?" Uh, I don't think he's going to be down in game one, so I'm not. There's no thoughts. Now, but, you know, the only, the only concern is that it's his right thumb, okay, yeah. and so until that's healed, 
he can't snap because he's not a left-handed snapper. Mm-hmm. So now could he play guard? Yep. I mm-hmm. mean, you, you, you see a lot of guys playing with broken hands in the, in the league, but not that position. Not yep. when it's not, if, again, if it's your left hand, he could do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he'll be fine because he had surgery and that's why they had the surgery. Mm-hmm. They might've put a, a, a little plate in there and, so that uh, hastens the healing process. You still got what seven weeks until the until the first game. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of time, and he's a guy that started 28 games over uh, over the last couple of years. He knows the offense, so it it's not you know a, I don't think a big problem when you got a veteran like that that knows and understands you'd like that cohesiveness with the, the people around him, especially if you're, you're going to have a new guy next to him and most likely Schofield now. Uh, but Hey, it is what it is. And and there's going to be stuff he can still do in practice in another couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. He just, um, you know, really can't snap with that hand and won't be able to. Mm. I, uh, I'm going to the next two practices over at Hallisaw. I'm happy to report, so I'll let, be able to see up front. And now they're going to be in pads, so that will be even better. Because really, what happened last week in practice really wasn't much other than seeing what the guys do. As it's OTAs. It's just yeah. OTAs. They're installing it's it's repeat. Now, the difference is that you can do more in OTAs. You can't have contact. Right. So they had some pass rush drills, pass block, mm-hmm. pass rush drills and stuff. And you can do those without pads on and, and a guy's not going to get hurt. You just, you know, you can't go a hundred percent, but you can go 80, 85%. Mm-hmm. And they were doing those. You can't do that in OTA. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, in, in coverage drills, you can't theoretically, have press coverage really you can have man coverage but not press coverage and really jam the receiver well you can do that now so mm-hmm. that that's the difference so it's it's a more glorified ota practice uh, but same thing mm-hmm. what the, advice do you have for me a uh relative uh, layman when it comes to watching practices at the nfl level what would you advise somebody like me to look for, concentrate on? You've you've seen uh, about a million practices. Any advice? I always follow the big people because big it's guys. it's the most, especially when they put pads on, mm-hmm. because you know you get into the one on ones and things. It's just uh, to me, it's it's the best part of practice. And mm-hmm. also, when you do the one on ones, the other problem is a lot of times the one on ones with the receivers and the DBs at the same time. You got one on ones with the with the big guys, mm-hmm. you know, it depends how the practice is. It's not like seven on seven, 11 on 11 is hard because you can't, you've got 22 people on the field. You can't really concentrate. Mm-hmm. You know, when you, that's why you take the, you know, it, everything is filmed and, and then you go back and you look at the film and you, you know, you're looking at each play six or seven times so you can grade each player. And that's what we had to do when I, you know, when I was there in training camp at soon as practice was over, you'd have the, you know, the tape of practice within a couple of minutes and you were um, starting to grade each position. Lots of praise coming in in the chat room for offensive lineman Jeteri Carter. Did I say that one correctly? <laughs> God, I'm terrible. I think, I, I, I'm not sure. I think it's Jeteri. It might be Jay Tyree. I'm not sure. 
it just we'll, say, we'll refer to All the I know is, you know i think this guy could be a surprise and and it might not be this year might be a year from now uh, mm-hmm. given the it, it's not his talent it's the level of comp that he's coming from mm-hmm. you know and he's not he didn't get the quality coaching that he's going to get and i'm not trying to knock the coaching at, at those schools but more that it's still not as good as you're going to get in the NFL as far as uh, perfecting uh, technique, et cetera, and the quality of the people that you're going against on a daily basis. So uh, I think the guy's got a bright upside. We'll have to see, but I know he's big, strong, he's athletic. How about this guy? This guy's a point guard when he was in high school. <laughs> yes, nice. At like 265 when he was in high school. And not only that, they went to the state championship, and he was an all-state player. He wow. had he had offers to play college basketball, not from the you know like power five type schools, but from some of the mid majors. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of talk also about Sam Mustafer in the chat room. By the way, I, I, I really appreciate everybody in the chat room. I may not never have to prepare for the Gabriel Talks football show because you guys ask all the questions, all the good questions. So, um, maybe I don't need another vacation. Uh, but uh, bare truth, as a well, first of all, regarding Sam Mustafer, um, a lot of people have been down on Mustafer for his performance last year and maybe even uh, as far back as two years ago. And uh, some are speculating that he might not make the team. Today, he was asked if the new uh, – uh, uh, athletic body that he has, uh, a little smaller but quicker, better diet and so forth, if that's going to help him with this offense. And he said maybe in terms of leverage. Wanted to get your thoughts on that because of all the experience you have in kind of monitoring weight and strength for offensive linemen. Well, again, I, I know this program that Jimmy Arthur preaches. It's the same thing program we used under Lovey with with Rusty. Jimmy was on the staff. He was Rusty's top assistant. So he's been around this program. It it uh, works on body mass and percentage mm-hmm. of body fat, not weight. So uh, and, and going back to last year, Juan Castillo wanted big bodies. I think Mustafer was up around 330 pounds. That's too big for him. Mm-hmm. Okay, you got to find the right weight. And at the same time, you want you don't want a guy to, to lose weight, not because you want him thin, you want him strong. You want a low percentage of body fat. Now, with an offensive lineman, they can have 22, 23% of body fat. And it's not going to be a problem. They don't want 30, 33, 34%. Mm-hmm. And Juan wanted these guys huge and they can't move. You know, so different philosophy is basically what it is. Not that one's right and one's wrong, but you know, you look at Cody. Cody's was when he was doing his uh, press conference the other day. He said the same thing. You know, he's dropped weight. And he goes, "It wasn't that hard for him because he's always been kind of a lean guy to begin with." But I know guys like Borum, uh, Jenkins, Mustafer, they're all a lot smaller than they were. You know, I bet you some are 20 pounds smaller, mm-hmm. but they're not any less strong. In fact, they're mm-hmm. probably stronger. What do you think about what Cornelius says here? He says, he, we can't have Sam Mustafer going up against big guys like Kenny Clark. Do you think 
that the size advantage for Kenny Clark makes Mustafer a liability. No, it, it's strength and leverage and quickness. Now, Owen Cruz played at 285 to 290 pounds. Do you ever have a problem with a big guy? Mm-hmm. Okay, so and and you know who the number one backer of Mustafer is is uh, Owen Cruz, mm-hmm. and he and he takes a lot of heat on Twitter over it. He doesn't care because he just goes, "Hey, I know more than you guys do, so you know, say what you want." And but I, I'm going to put it this way: it, it's you got a new staff, new offensive line coach, with a different way of thinking and teaching a different technique. Let's see what he does. He's going to have all preseason. Hey, if he doesn't do it in preseason, he's going to get caught. The best, the best nine guys are going to make it. Yeah. What works to his advantage is that he's showing he can play two positions. Mm-hmm. Okay, now you, you gotta, you're going to have your starting five. Your backups got to be able to play it, every single one of them out of the the four backups and then even your guys on the practice squad, they got to be able to play more than one position, Hmm. especially. And I think we've talked about this on the show before you get into a game. And in most cases, most teams dress only seven offensive linemen. So you got two reserves. Mm -hmm. One of those guys has got to play guard and tackle and be able to play both tackles. And the other guy's got to play center and guard. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, so the, during the course of training camp and practice, they got to work at several different positions. I want to say hi to Ryan Badgley, who stops in uh, from a hard day at work to be a part of the show. Badge, miss you, love you. Uh, it, one of the things I to, just to personally, what's he doing watching this at two in the afternoon? <laughs> He's, he's playing a little hooky, maybe. I don't know. I I'll keep my mouth shut. Um, I used to coach a flag football team. You know, I grew up, uh, I'm a Puerto Rican and grew up in a predominantly Puerto Rican neighborhood. And so I coached a flag football team that was comprised 95% of Puerto Ricans. My offensive lineman was five foot five. <laughs> my, it was flag football. He was the center. And I'll say this about Jose Torres, little Jose. That guy knew how to use leverage. I mean, they would line up right on the nose, some guy who weighed 100 pounds more and was easily six inches taller, and Jose just stood in there with outstanding leverage and, and strength and, and held his own against a lot of those guys. So, Low man <laughs> wins. There you go. There you go. Low All man right. wins in, in, in most sports. All right. I want to talk about Riley Reef, the new acquisition, who is probably 99.9% sure that he will be the left tackle moving forward. Your thoughts? No, no I'd say 99.99999. You know, assuming he doesn't get hurt. That, that's for this time of year, that was mm-hmm. a hell of a pickup. Um, yeah. And there were other teams trying to sign him. I, I, I think the, the Jets were going after him and a couple others. Um, got a lot of experience. He played, you know, he played most of his career when he was with Detroit. He was a, a and Minnesota. He was a left tackle. Mm-hmm. Has played some right tackle. Played right tackle at Cincinnati last year before he got hurt near the end of the year. Doesn't play as well on the right side. And, and, you know, that's can be the case with a lot of players. They prefer one side, but in his case, uh, 
you know, all through college at Iowa, and he was a pretty damn good player coming out. Um, he was a left tackle. Uh, and when he first came into the league and, and the best part of his career is playing at left tackle. So he, he uh, brings a lot of experience. He's never been a pro bowl right. type guy. You know, he's a workman guy that you can, you know, I like to label guys you go win with or win because of you win with Riley reef, not because of, uh, but, Better than what they've had, you know. The I, I I say right now he's better than Leno. I was just going to ask you that he's better than Charles Leno. Uh, everybody always tells me when I make a, a a statement like that, well, follow the money. Who's making more money? And in this case, it's Leno, not Riley Reef. Why is that? Uh, it's almost similar. Well, Riley yeah. Reef's contract is a three million dollar. Uh, yeah, but he's got all those incentives that are like. Well, if you wake up in the morning, you're going to get them. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Like you've got to pay something like 25%. I, I don't know the exact, but it's a yeah. real low percentage. Yeah, it's very you know, low. <laughs> you know, it, it, he's, but what it does is it saves the cap, and then he gets paid at the end of the year. Do you think he's better than the guy we had in the last, last year who was going to the Hall of Fame? Uh, Peters. Now, not Peters, the Hall of Fame Peters, but the Peters that we saw last year, who surprisingly played a lot better than I thought. Yeah, he, he played pretty good football. I mean, mm -hmm. he had, it, it took him a while to get acclimated, get get himself in shape. Uh, but consider he was 40 years old. Mm -hmm. and, and by the way, I just saw a thing last week. He still wants to play. Mm -hmm. so I'm just sitting here waiting. You know, it goes right team, right time. He goes, how could a call? And, and I think he will because his tape was good enough. But, oh, yeah. yeah, I think, yeah, I'm going to say better because younger. He's taller. He's not as big. You know, mm -hmm. Peters Peters was probably 340, 350. Easy, and, yeah. again, that was too big for him. Mm -hmm. When he came out, when he was a tight end at Arkansas, and I went to see him, he was probably 300, 305. And then when he was a, uh, a rookie – and he was on the practice squad his first year in, in Buffalo. Again, he was in that 305, 310 area. And I think we you know when he was really good in Philly, mm -hmm. he was probably 315 to 320. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I was, he was coming off an, uh, um, not an ACL, an Achilles injury when I was at, at Philly. So he wasn't at training camp, he wasn't ready to go, but he was like, um, jogging on the, and actually running on this uh, treadmill that was set in water and stuff. So it didn't have to carry all his weight yet. He was still getting cardiovascular work out of it. And, you know, guy, he was a freak athlete. I mean, like I say, he's a tight end of 300 pounds from college. Hmm. Uh, and he is going to go in the hall of fame. So his heyday. Yeah. Peters is, is, is better than Riley reef, but Riley reef, you can win with him in this league. Hell, hell Cincinnati and, and Cincinnati had a bad line, and he wasn't playing at his optimum spot. And they went to Super Bowl with him last year. Mm. I like the way J Two K puts it. Uh, Peters is better, but Reef knows and fits this offense better. Uh, I, I don't think Peters is better now today. Okay, there's like an eight year difference in age. Yeah, that's huge. I'll yeah. tell you one thing. One of the things I was most impressed 
with Jason Peters last year was how he got out to the second level because I saw tape from his previous season and he was having a little bit of a problem. Now, it was probably a tape from late in the season, so probably his body had had enough for that for that season. And that was another thing that I was impressed at, that he played virtually every week. So uh, he was he was a, a great find by Ryan Pace. One of the nice things that Ryan Pace did. For well, I, in fairness, that was a Juan Castillo deal. Oh, that's right. You're right. You're right. Juan Castillo, he played for Juan in Philly. Uh, Juan's the guy who developed him in Philly. And, and uh, you know, they had a close relationship. Juan's the guy who made the phone call. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody's making a request uh, of you. Uh, Greg, please come back and work for the Chicago Bears. Um too bad that's not uh, George McCaskey <laughs> writing that. It's Alfred Smith. <laughs> um, what? Uh, let's move over to the defense because I really, really want to talk about uh, the following. Wait, we oh, got to say one thing. Please. Big, Biggs tweeted out this morning, mm-hmm. and I had no idea this was going to happen. Carl Pekarski, who is the assistant at, um Equipment guy to Tony mm-hmm. Medlin. Tony Medlin's been there, I think, since you know yeah, George Ellis. But mm-hmm. Carl's been there forever too. Carl retired uh, over the weekend. Wow! So he was here for the beginning of camp, and and then uh, uh, made his retirement official over the weekend. He'll be missed. Great guy, and mm-hmm. the players love him. The coaches love him. Everybody in the building loves him. Uh, so you know, congrats to uh, to Carl. Good. Uh, I uh, maybe we can get him on the show in the future just uh, to talk about what that job entails and what's his future going to be and so forth. I'll see if I can get. Uh, I'll tell you, you want to find out about players? Those are the people you talk to. Yeah, they're around them. Mm-hmm. They can share little things like how polite the players are. Like I remember a story about, and uh, I forgot who the source was. But that players who would get dressed and just throw all their crap all over the socks, the underwear, the pants, and so forth. And the trainers got to pick all this stuff up. Whereas some players would politely hand it or throw it in the basket where it belongs and so forth. You know, that to me is just one of those little traits that you kind of judge a player on. You know, how, how you're looking at me like, fuck you. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I, I learned. I learned when I was with the Giants. She, the, you're the guy you want to be your best friend mm-hmm. is the equipment guy. There you go. Because, like T Med, mm-hmm. I put T Med up on a big totem pole. He's yeah. the best, and the same with Carl. Because mm. if you need something, if you're good to them, and you need something, they're going to be good to you. That's how I got these helmets here. Mm-hmm. And I got a giant's helmet, that, you know, downstairs. Mm-hmm. You don't think that they don't just give those things away? Yeah, right. Um, I was going to talk about the defensive secondary, but before we go to the defense, uh, I wanted to, of course, talk about the other offensive lineman that was re- acquired last week, and that's Michael Schofield the third. What can you tell us about him? Yeah, I think you know we talked a little bit about him last week. Uh, Schofield was acquired before we did the last show, and and. Oh, that's right. Riley Reef wasn't signed until a couple hours after we shut it down mm-hmm. uh, or officially signed, put it that way. No, Schofield's a good player. He's he, another guy that you win because or win with, not because of. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's got versatility, mostly played at, at 
uh, right guard and been pretty good at right guard. Um, but then, and we talked about this last week too, but he's never made a huge amount of money. I mean, he's getting over a million dollars here, but you know, by, by standards as compared to better linemen, that's light. The most he's ever made in a year, I think is like three and a half million dollars when he was in uh, uh, San Diego for the, he was in San Diego twice, but at the first time he was in San Diego, he got a pretty good contract, but he's a guy that has uh, been pretty durable. He plays good, uh, real good pass blocker. That's the strong point of his game, but he gets after it in the run game too. And he's athletic enough. He's not overly huge. He's, I, you know, they list him at three Oh six, whether he's a little bigger than that, I don't know, but he moves good enough that he can get out in space and, uh, adjust on the move to hit a moving target. He's, he's a good player and he's a veteran. You know, this guy's this is ninth year in the league. So, and, and he started a lot of game. I think he started 86 games over the course of his career. So he's played a lot of football in the NFL. Do you think that the acquisition of these two players and I'm, and I'm, I know I'm asking you to speculate here, but do you think that the, the acquisition of these two offensive linemen had more to do with, all right, we saw OTAs, and there's a couple of little concerns here, or that these guys are available, they're coming at a good price for us, let's snatch them up because we could always use the depth. You know, I, I think it's a combination of, of both, and I put a lot of thought into this. I think OTAs was all about getting you know to know who was already here. Mm-hmm. And then they drafted all those young guys and, and get to see what they can do. Now, again, OTAs, no contact. So it's more about the mental part of the game and how quickly they can pick things up. Can they adapt? Uh, can they make adjustments uh, when the quarterback changes, the player changes, the, the protection, whatever? And, and so that part was good. I, I think always in the back of their mind, they had got they had a short list of guys that once camp got you know they got close to camp they'd go out and sign these guys and it, and and it, I wouldn't be a bit surprised that you know contact was made wasn't made last original contact wasn't made like last week or the week before might have been made weeks ago mm-hmm. and let's just wait and see how this plays out and you know if push came to shove if somebody else was gonna get ready to sign. And then you might've had to get into a situation where you got to bet them. But, you know, like the, look at the reef contract. Yeah. His base salary is $3 million or actually got a signing bonus. I've looked at his contract today. He got a signing bonus and then the, uh, the uh, salary brings it to 3 million, but you have all those incentives that can take him, you know, give him another, nine and a half million dollars. And a lot of those incentives are really easy to get. Mm -hmm. Uh, Schofield doesn't have that in his contract. Um, He wasn't as in demand as as Riley Reef was, but still you go back and you, and and you look at the tape and he, he, you know, originally was with, I think Baltimore last year, got cut at the final cut down. And then, the Chargers brought him back. He didn't start at first, but I think by the third game, he was in the starting lineup again and uh, started all but one game then the rest of the season. And if I'm not mistaken, Chargers had a pretty good offense. Mm -hmm. Indeed. (laughs) All right, now let's turn over to the defense. Um, 
these defensive backs, these two rookies that uh, were acquired in the second round by Ryan Poles, boy, they are really turning heads. And uh, Kyler Gordon was discussed at length over the last uh, several practices because he's been playing a lot of nickel. Let me play for you what Alan Alan Williams, a defensive coordinator, is saying about Kyler and why he is so good. Twitchy. Uh, he can uh, he can change directions, uh, and he has some size to him, and he's a ball magnet. For some reason, he's always around the football, and he's around the football, and when he is, uh, he turns it over, um, and he's he's smart. Uh, he uh, he gobbles up information. He uh, he's one of the ones that uh, that you like has good athleticism, but also has the will and the drive to uh, to to be a good player. So we're excited about him. He was in here the other day expressing his eagerness to play inside. How has that resonated with you, just his want to and kind of his desire to be in the mix in the middle there? Yeah, that's that's a big deal. When when players want to do what you ask them to do, some guys are just compliant. They go, hey, <laughs> coach, I'll do anything you ask me to do. But when, you're, when you have a guy that wants to do what you're asking him to do, you get a little extra edge in terms of uh, how that guy performs. Mr. Shorty wants to know, Greg, is Kyler Gordon on a path to the Hall of Fame? Well, let's, you know, hold back a little bit. <laughs> you know, he hasn't played one game yet. Uh, I, I, I think it's going to turn out to be a good pick. I, I remember doing tape on him in, in the spring, mm-hmm. and I actually thought, you know, his teammate went higher. His teammate went in the first round. Yeah. Uh, I thought he had more upside. And but the other guy had, play, had been a productive player for a number of years in the Pac-12 mm-hmm. at the University of Washington, so he had the experience factor. Um, this guy's pretty good. What hurt him a little bit is he didn't time as good as he everybody thought he was going to time. And when you watch him, you know he he plays like he's a you know mid four four guy, but he timed it like four fifty two or something like that was official time. Um, not bad by any means. I mean, there's some Pro Bowl players in the league that uh, that that uh, cornered out of Miami, um, who's one of the best in the league. Is like a four five seven when he timed. So, and and sometimes you got to take times with a grain of salt. You got to look at their play speed. You know, I don't know if you're a track guy. The, the, the World Championships were on a, a couple of weeks ago over the course of a week. Do you think a sprinter runs the same time every time he lines up to run the hundred meters? Far mm-hmm. from it, mm-hmm. you know. So that four five two might have been a bad day for him. I think he's, uh, you know, plays like a four four five guy. He's got the, but he's got even better quickness and he's explosive. He can jump. He's got a vertical. He's got a good long jump. He's got a good length. Uh, and then you saw that, you know, when he got drafted, the uh, the ballet thing when he was a kid you know that flexibility is unreal that he had and that he still has that amount of flexibility i mean that there's that's one of the things you want to have in the db mm-hmm. but i don't know if that guy can twist like a pretzel <laughs> and, you know so but here's the one thing you know i thought he'd be playing outside and you know they signed tevin young to uh, i thought to play in the corner and if i'm not mistaken Young was signed before the draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I thought when they drafted him, they were going to play him strictly outside, at least this year. But now you go back and, and to when 
uh, Flus was named the head coach and he talked about the defense and, you know, his three key guys are the three technique, the will linebacker and, and the nickel. And who are they putting at the nickel? Or at least it looks like they're, you know, right. I don't think it's set in stone yet, mm-hmm. but that, that alone tells you a lot about the player that they are, they think that much of him as a rookie mm-hmm. that they can put him in one of the most three important s- spots on the defense mm-hmm. and be a good player. Yeah. Yeah. And I listened to that press conference where he, uh, right at the top of the press conference say, yeah, they had a feeling that they were going to ask me to play it uh, during OTAs. And so I immediately got a smile on my face and I said, yeah, I want to do that because in college, he had some success at that position. It's it's uh, it, it's quite the honor for him, and hopefully he will not let us down. Um, yeah, some people some people think of of the, and it really depends on the scheme. The mm-hmm. nickel is like, well, he's your third corner in the scheme of things. Not necessarily the case. Not anymore. Depending, and and again, it depends on the scheme and who's coaching the scheme. Mm-hmm. So. Um, in this game, he's not your he, he's at worst your number two corner, but he's asked to do more than the outside guys. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes he's got to cover a tight end, sometimes he's got to cover a wide receiver, be it a little guy or a big guy. So you gotta have and, and teams are looking for mismatches. You look at, at Green Bay when they had Adams last year, Adams would line up at all three of the the wide receiver positions during the course of a game. And they'd look for the mismatches and get him into a situation where he was going against the weak guy. Mm-hmm. And if the weak guy was in the slot and he lined up against the, in the slot against the bears often. And it's because, you know, their, their weakest corner was in the slot. Their littlest guy was in the slot. And so, um, you know, teams are going to do that. Well, Gordon's got some size to him and he's got length. Yeah, and, and he's strong and he's explosive. So that's going to take away that. He's got the quickness that he can cover the little guys. Mm-hmm. And he's got the, the size and the length that he can match up well against the big guys. And and they're going to use, you go back and, and you look at uh, Colts tape and they'll blitz the slot corner a lot and do other things with him. He's, he's an integral part of the run game. So you got to have some toughness. Toughness indeed. And let me tell you about another uh, tough guy. It's uh, Mr. Shorty in the uh, chat room because he's got a really good podcast called Bears Country Podcast, and he's going to have a couple of guests on tonight, including J2K Larsonette, and that's going to start at 5 p.m. Eastern. That would be 4 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Uh, Pacific time. Is it 4 p.m.? Five Eastern would be uh, Pacific. Yeah, 5 p.m. Eastern would be. He's got 5 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. That isn't the way it works. It's the other way around. Anyway, um, look for Bears Country Podcast. Uh, Mr. Shorty does a great job with his show there. and He's had on Jordan Silvera a couple times, and I think he's going to be on again tonight. Anyway, uh, check it out. (laughs) Let's see how Mr. Shorty says. 8 p.m. Eastern, so that would be 7 Central, and I don't know what it'll be out in the West. It should be 5 p.m. Central or West. Anyway, let us – 
continue to talk about this Bears secondary because the other rookie, Jaquan Brisker, is uh, getting some accolades as well. Tough hitting guy, can play in the box. Um, what is your level of concern about the Bears potentially starting two rookies in the defensive backfield? None, because the coaches wouldn't start them if they didn't think they're ready to go. Mm-hmm. I mean, will will opponents go after him? Sure. But I think both of these guys got short memories. It's easier for to play safety, uh, you know, from the standpoint is that you don't have all those one-on-one matchups that a corner has. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you got to open up against San Francisco, and San Francisco's got a pretty good wideout. And by the way, as long as those, those two wideouts got signed, mm-hmm. you know, DK Metcalf and the guy in San Francisco. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think I said to you off there, you know, when Metcalf got signed, you know, I, I turned on one of the two sports stations and it was a, you know, a, a night show and it wasn't one of the regular guys. But he's going, he was pissed off because the Bears didn't go all out to try to make a trade for DK Metcalf. Mm-hmm. Oh, come on. DK Metcalf was not available in the trade. Not last week, not two months ago, not six months ago, not ever. Mm-hmm. Seattle was never going to trade him. San Francisco is never going to trade their player. These guys, you know, you're in the business to collect good players. And these guys are young, good players. An older player can be a different story. So young, good players, it's, it's a matter of coming together and making a deal. It's going to be the same thing with Roquan. You want to make a deal. You got to get the numbers right. Sometimes it takes a little time to get the numbers right. Yep. That's very true. Um, I got a soundbite here from yeah. our offensive coordinator, Luke Getze. He was asked about the, uh, there was a couple of practices where the right receivers were dropping a lot of passes. And uh, so he was asked about that. And this was, is or was his response. Yeah, I'm not. This, this is, is we're, we're just, just we're just, we're just getting, getting started, right? We're just getting, getting back at this thing. thing. Um, <laughs> for me, it's the lack of execution that, that that I'm focused on right now. That's what pisses me off more than anything is right now is is, is getting getting that stuff taken care of and getting that out of there, and guys knowing what the heck to do so that we can talk about stuff like that as you get going. Yeah, and that's what we were talking about earlier. It's all about installing stuff now, and uh, what coaches are looking for first and foremost. Are they lining up correctly? <laughs> right. so they, 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 well, it's coaches more than any, my personal experience with coaches. Mm-hmm. They can live with a drop sometimes, unless it's a continual thing, you mm-hmm. know, and then it becomes maybe a concentration thing. They hate mental mistakes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because they want to be able to trust the player that if you put him in the game, He's not going to make a mental mistake. A physical mistake, they'll forgive. Mm-hmm. They aren't going to forgive mental mistakes. At today's press conference, uh, the new tight end for the Bears, Ryan Griffin, said that he was asked to compare Patrick Mahomes and Justin Fields. He says, ah, I'm not into that comparison thing, but I will tell you one thing is that they are both great leaders. Can you give me an example of that leadership? Well, with Justin and both Patrick, they will yell at you to get – 
lined up correctly or 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 and did that happen to you Ryan? Yeah, Justin yelled at me just the other day because I was lined up incorrectly. So uh this is the time of season where you're going to see receivers drop passes because they're thinking too much. Am I lined up right? What's the count and all this stuff? And so that's going to lead to these errors. Hopefully they get uh all of that pre-snap stuff embedded in their brains and they go out there and perform at a higher level. Wasn't that at this time of the year last year that it seemed like every day Jamar Chase was dropping multiple passes at the Cincinnati Bengals practice? good point. Yes. Okay. How many did he drop once the bell rang? (laughs) Not many. (laughs) You know, I remember this guy's going to be a bust. He can't catch. Yep. Yeah, okay. We have a, we have a tendency us us fans I'm I'm referring to of uh, overreacting overreacting exactly and so that leads me to another topic I wanted to chat with you on is this whole uh, the media is getting clobbered especially the national media because they've predicted you know the Bears are going to have the worst team in the league Justin Fields is going to lead the league in interceptions and so forth but even the local media has been. Uh, kicked in the balls. And sometimes I come to their defense because it's not their job to be ad, uh, to be in cahoots with the team. They're not PR agents for the Chicago Bears. It's their job to be adversarial, to ask tough questions and so forth. Now, you can blame them or, or support them when they editorialize and their opinion is not high of the team, but that's still their job. What are your thoughts on, on the media in Chicago? Overall, too negative, and I've I've thought that for a long time, and you know, being I worked in in radio here, you know, as an analyst for a number of years, you know, you, you deal with it. I I personally am not a negative person. I'm very positive. I always look, and we've talked about this. The glass is half full; it's not half, half empty. Um, I, I read stuff all the the you know, the cohesiveness, the execution has been really poor. It's the first freaking week of practice, you know, it's, and it's a new offense. It's not like they've been playing this offense for the last five years. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they played Nagy's offense for four years. Now they're going into an entirely different type of scheme, mm-hmm. different numbering system, different terminology. You're brought in a bunch of new players that's what you have practice for. That's what you have training camp for. Now, once you get into September and the games count, and then you see that lack of execution, yeah, then then you can hold people accountable and come out. Mm-hmm. But practice, it, you know, especially during practice, you're not playing, you know, during the course of a game except for, you know, defense, you got more substitution because they, they like to rotate guys. But on offense, you're pretty much playing with the same five guys on the offensive line, the same quarterback. You might rotate the running backs a little bit, and you might rotate one receiver in, but say you're playing with four receivers, uh, you know, your top four receivers for the three wide receiver positions and two tight ends, but you don't have that mass substitution that you have in training camp. And in training camp, you've got a different set of receivers every single play. And they're they're trying to figure out who's going to be the line. And you've got, you know, 
three or four plays with these five guys, then the next three or four plays with these five guys. Mm -hmm. And, you know, cohesiveness is not going to be there. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's, I, I remember, what was it? The uh, 2000, no, the 1990 season. And I was working for the Giants and I went to the, I think it was the final preseason game. And it was at the University of South Carolina of all places. <laughs> the Chicago Bears played the Buffalo Bills. Chicago killed the Bills. Killed them. <laughs> and I mean, and like, I don't know what the score was. You'd have to look it up. But I bet you they won by at least four touchdowns and probably more. Like the Bills didn't even show up. That year, the Bills went to the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they had that K-Gun offense, they had the, high, the, the most productive offense in the National Football League that year. And they lost by a field goal to us, the New York Giants. Um, so, you know, I, I don't, I, I know what training camp is about. I I'll tell you a story. My last year with the Giants was the 2000 season. When I left training camp, I thought we were going to only win five or six games. That's how bad we looked in training camp. Mm. We went to the Super Bowl that year, lost to Baltimore. Mm -hmm. uh, but and that was the year that Jim Fossil made that pledge, you know, about halfway through the season, we will be in the playoffs. Yeah, that was a, a uh, awesome. So, but it just, that year alone taught me a lot. It's mm -hmm. not what you see in August. August is about putting your team together. Mm -hmm. You got to find out who's going to be on your team. And, do, and once you figure that out, then you start working on, on, on the small things. Right. And what you're going to be using week in and week out. Right. Uh, Justin Fields got some heat at the end of OTAs. He was asked, are you ready to go? He goes, no, we're not, we're not ready to go. We're not, we're not ready as an offense. And uh, he should have been applauded for his candor. And uh, I think he was oh, still. I, I, got a, I got a little visitor here. Wait a second. Let me shut the door. Okay. <laughs> and I'll, uh, I'll just continue saying that the, uh, Justin Fields should have been applauded for his candor, and he and some of the other teammates are still saying, we're not ready to rock and roll yet. We still are working on installing stuff, uh, but it's going to happen. We've got to keep uh, some uh, positivity about that. And I want to make sure I share this. I didn't, uh, I didn't want him to start barking, so I had a – he's probably pissed off at me because I didn't have him in here at the beginning like he always is. Yeah, I mean, we need to get him his own camera too. <laughs> I'm going to go over to your house and set up a camp well, here. You know, my, my, my wife is home, and so he was wherever in the house, part of the house she's in. Yeah, I know. And he decided, wait a minute, I got to, I, this is where I'm supposed to be. <laughs> That's right. It's showtime. That's right. Uh, Mr. Shorty is almost uh, saying exactly what you said the other day, is that Flu says at the top of the press conference, we're not disclosing injuries, and then the next four questions were about injuries. <laughs> I tweeted that out. And it, it's well, like, uh, come on. Uh, this has been going on for like 10, 11 years. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's right. They, um, they, already know, they, they know the answer, because really, there's a rookie head coach. Mm -hmm. he, he's going to be different. No. Uh, earlier, 
Beartooth9 asked, uh, can you ask Greg about how they keep these guys in reasonable shape when injuries happen like this? This was back when we were talking about Tevin Jenkins and Lucas Patrick, Lucas Patrick in, in particular. And he asked, what kind of adjustments happen to help keep them as strong as possible? Well, I, I'm going to tell you a story because it brings up a, when I was with the Giants. Great. And uh, our assistant trainer was a guy by the name of Jimmy Madalino, and he's the head guy at the University of Kentucky now. And Parcells told Jimmy, I want you to work the hell out of these guys when they're hurt. <laughs> They'd rather be practicing than be hurt. You know, so <laughs> and so it might, they might, you know, you had two hour practice. And back then we had two days. So these guys would spend an hour with Jimmy in the morning and an hour in the afternoon during two days. And he would wear their ass out, <laughs> you know, as far as cardio and all this other stuff. So, I mean, it depends on the injury. If you got a knee injury and you can't do something, but regardless of what the injury was, you were doing something to keep yourself in good shape. And then when you're cleared and, and, you know, not only does the training staff have to sign off, but the, the doctor's got to sign off. You know, all this stuff is documented exactly what it is. It's all written up. Uh, you know, when the original injury happens, uh, the coach and the GM gets a report, such and such injury. We expect them to miss five or six days. Uh, you may, you may want to just use them sparingly the first couple of days back, you know, they already know the answer to a lot of this stuff. Mm -hmm. All right. Let me get another question in here. Uh, does Greg have thoughts on how the running backs are doing? Flus has talked about, Flus also talked about the fullback today. What have you heard about this, uh, really, really uh, talented room of running backs? Oh. Uh, not a lot. I, I'm interested to see how they use the guy. I really want to see how they're going to use is, is Ebner. Mm -hmm. To me, Ebner is almost a bigger version of Tariq Cohen. Mm -hmm. He's that, I mean, he catches the ball really well and he's about the same speed. And he, you know, I, I was watching one game. He had two returns, a uh, kickoff return for a touchdown in one game. He gets out in the open field. It's all over. You know, light up the board at seven points because you aren't catching them. Mm -hmm. And he catches the ball, you know, and they at, at, at uh, Baylor, they used him flanked out sometimes. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if the Bears do that, too. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they use him in the preseason. The fullback wasn't really a part of the bears offense the last few years. It depends, you know, when they used a fullback, it was a tight end. And, and Flus talked about that a little bit today. If you can get a guy who can, a tight end who can do some of that fullback role. But when you look at green Bay and San Francisco, which is pretty much the same offense, there is a, a part, there's a, a part for that position for the fullback. He's not playing every down. He's not, he might only be playing 20% of the downs. He might carry the ball once every two games. And that's just to make him feel good about himself. You know, it, it's, it's a blocking position. It's a receiving position, not necessarily 
a carry the ball position. Mm -hmm. uh, but in the way they do things, and part of its motion too, it's an important position. So I think, you know, that's going to be, there's going to be one. There's only one in camp. Blassingate. And now if, and if they can get a, one of the tight ends shows that he can play. Most of these guys are pretty big, the tight end. So I don't know if they can, we're blasting games, what, six feet, six feet, one, something like that. The, you know, if they can get a tight end who has the movement skills and can stay low enough to do that lead blocking role, then he would be the back. He'd be back, back up at, at, you know, certain tight end positions. And that'll, you know, when it gets down to the final cut down, when you see how many tight ends they keep, that'll tell you a little bit too. We got late breaking news. Thanks, uh, Scox, for making us aware of this. Ian Rappaport says the Bears have received calls and have held trade talks. Is this up on the screen? Yeah. And have received trade talks centered around offensive tackle Tevin Jenkins. Sources tell me and Mike Garofalo, a, the former second-round pick, has drawn interest based on his potential, a situation to, to watch. And Brad Biggs retweets it saying, based on how Jenkins was used in spring, surely the Bears would prefer to get a future pick for him then release him if they don't deem him a fit. I I got to tell you this. I, there's no way they're going to release Tevin Jenkins. Uh, no, no, not because of the contract, but it, it's, uh, you know, he's on a rookie contract. Th th there's something we don't know, mm -hmm. okay? And, and we may never know, or we mm -hmm. may find out. In fact, you know, I'll be honest. I, I was texting Biggs yesterday. What do you know? And he didn't know much. And and if anybody has a pretty good handle, it's Bigsy. And um, but I tell you, in trade, you paid a second a year ago. You aren't getting that second back. That's right. No you aren't way. getting the third back. No way. You know, so you know, you better be the guy's really talented. So mm -hmm. unless it's something, if there's a, you know, if the coaches, I just don't want this guy, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that could very well be the case. And, yeah, and that's one of the reasons why a lot of times you, especially in the offensive line, you know, when Harry was here, I worked very closely with, with Harry and uh, any guy we were interested in, we would send uh, Harry. What's the beer thing where when they, the guy had that, the beer thing. What was the beer thing? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know. Uh, Shorty, uh, give us a little more uh, detail on that beer thing. Go ahead. Go ahead. With your that was that was um, it would have been last year anyway. But mm -hmm. anyway, getting back to what I was working with Harry, and and we'd send Harry out to work out every single guy we had some interest in, so mm -hmm. he could get a feel. You know, for the player personality wise, and there's guys you came back. I don't want them. Why not? He will not fit in the room. Hmm. They'll eat him up, whatever. He won't get along with Olin. And, um, or, or be a problem with some of those guys. Because we had a you know a pretty strong group of veterans mm -hmm. on that football team. Right. Uh, you know, on the offensive line. And so he was, it was important to him that he got to know the kid so that you know, he could go thumbs up or thumbs down mm -hmm. on whether 
you know, and he, he he had the feel of the of the offensive line room. You know, he he knew what the personalities were like, obviously, having coached them. And so he, he wanted a specific type of kid. Mm-hmm. And you know, as as I said early in the show, there were some teams that had red flags on on him. Now I don't know if last year uh the offensive line coach Morgan was was at uh, Pittsburgh. I don't know if Pittsburgh had a red flag. I don't know if he went out and worked them out. Um, I, I don't know if Kansas City had a red flag, hmm. but Ryan Poles would have known. Yep. Okay. So, uh, and, yep. if, and if that's the case, um, you know, there, there could have been a negative when he walked in the door. You know, when Ryan walked in the door or, or uh, Morgan walked in the door and, you know, if you get to a situation now, you know, Cap said that, that there was a, or somebody said there was an argument and it might've been heated between, you know, Morgan and Jenkins. If that's the case and, and Morgan doesn't want him, it isn't going to work. You can never shove a player down a coach's throat. It won't work. Mm-hmm. And, yep. and you're wasting time. It just, <laughs> That coach is, is he's not going to do anything with that guy. Um, Mr. Shorty responded back to our question about the beer thing, and it was Tevin Jenkins. I believe I think this is jogging my memory. I think it was on the Olin Krutz podcast where, uh, no, uh, uh, Shorty says it was the Bears presser where uh, Tevin Jenkins said that he had to cut down on his beer. And so, of course, that leads to speculation that maybe he's – you know, an alcoholic or having addiction problems or whatever the hell it is. But well, I'll tell you, I, I, I listened to the, um, the Olin mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. podcast when right. he was on and it was probably a 20 minute segment anyway, mm-hmm. 17, 20 minute segment. And, and I, in all honesty, I thought you know, that they tried to get into what the problem was and he wouldn't talk about it. Right. But he did talk about, Jimmy Arthur and the program and, and getting the body fat right and, and, and the conditioning right. And he seemed to be buying into all of that. Now, there's one thing I know about Tevin Jenkins. You don't ever have to worry about him in the weight room. That is one strong dude. Mm-hmm. He did 35 reps of the bench at his pro day. Okay, because there was no combine a year ago. Right, you right. don't do 35 reps because you don't go in and work out. Mm-hmm. That's hard to do. That means he's benching over 500 pounds. Hmm. The other thing that I want to mention is this strong guy, Tevin Jenkins. Uh, when Ian Rappaport receives re- reports that the Bears have received calls, you're the one that's taught me this, is sometimes that stuff that's coming from either an agent or maybe the team because the team maybe wants to trade Tevin Jenkins. And so they want to announce to the world. Yeah. We're getting calls, you know, so that they can maybe drive up the price from a sixth round draft pick to a fifth round or fourth rounder. I'd be, I, you know, I'd be surprised I, right off the top of my head. I'm saying five, maybe mm-hmm. four because he was hurt last year. And now they're running them out of town. So why should I pay for you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, if if those calls are being initiated by the other teams, though, so there may, there may be a desire to work with a talented guy. Um, but we'll see. Well, we can only well, – there, There's no question. All you got to do is turn on the tape and you know there's talent. 
Absolutely. Do, okay. can you see- if there's a personality problem or defect, um, they're not ever going to let that out. Is there, you know, there might be ways to find out eventually, but, um, you know, especially now, if, if in fact they are trying to deal him, mm-hmm. then, um, and, and I'll go back about that. Let's just the fact that, that a guy like uh, rap sheet tweets that out, that can be a, a negative too. Because now it's like teams are going to go out. And he's going to get cut. Oh, I'm, I'm, why should I trade anything when I can get them? But same thing, you know. As I said about when when the Bears uh, gave up a seventh for um, and Keel Harry, mm-hmm. you know, it's like he was going to get cut when you give up a, a seventh next, a year from now and twenty four to get him. You knew he's going to get cut. The difference was you got him in camp day one versus getting him two weeks from now, yeah, or three weeks from now, right? And and so that might have been worth the the future. I was hoping there was a, you know, uh, a clause, considerate, uh, yeah, clause in there that he had to make the team for you yeah. to give up the the, the seventh round pick, but there wasn't. It was a clean. There was there was no conditions attached to the trade because it comes over on the waiver wire. So when the, I got the waiver wire for the, for that day, there was it just it was a clean trade. You know, well, it would say conditional seventh round pick, right? And then, well, we'll see if maybe uh, they get that seventh rounder back in the Tevin Jenkins trade. That would be depressing. <laughs> Second round investment for a seventh rounder. Um, I well, I'll tell you one thing though. I mean, you, you can't the good if there's a good part there's never a good part but the good right. part is it's not on these guys mm-hmm. it's not on flus it's not on poles it's not on morgan this one goes back on ryan pace mm-hmm. and Nagy. that was their guy absolutely absolutely um Got two more questions I want to squeeze in here. Sam Rush says, can Greg talk about how they're going to figure out the wide receiver depth chart? I mean, do all of the new additions get a chance to develop chemistry with Justin to get a feel for what he can work with? Well, I, I kind of answered that a little while ago when I said that, you know, every single play, there's a new group of receivers in there and practice. It's not like you're running three or four plays in a row for the receivers it's a different group just about every play mm-hmm. so in that way yeah you've you've got some intermingling between the quarterback and the different receivers and on top of that you've got the you know the one-on-ones and and some of that stuff during individual uh portion of practice the the way most teams keep probably six there are times i've seen teams keep seven but when you're cutting your roster and you get down to having those six guys Mm -hmm. number five and number six might not necessarily be and i've said this before and it's worth repeating number five and number six might not necessarily be your fifth and sixth best receiver Mm -hmm. and also let me back up a little bit Mm-hmm. Some of these guys might not have done anything in the preseason games, okay, or got thrown to once. And so you're saying, oh, how's he going to make the team? Right. They're in practice every day. Every play they're in is being charted. 
mm-hmm. and graded. So you're graded on the whole training camp, not just what happens because, you know, circumstances come in in a game. What's the weather conditions? What I, There was one game when, when I was here in an August preseason game. They stopped the game in the middle of the third quarter, beginning of the fourth quarter, because we had real torrential thunderstorm going on. So it's like, you know, it's preseason. It doesn't count. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, there's a number of factors. But getting back to, to five and six, five and six have to give you something on special teams, mm-hmm. be it a returner, a gunner, cover guy, um, whatever. He's got to do that. And if you get a guy who's a receiver only, he's going to be on, he's going to get cut and you'll put him on practice squad. If number four goes down, maybe you bring him up, you know, because, because one, two, three, and four, are your, your primary receivers. And if one of those guys can give you something on specials, that's great. You know, let, I'm going to assume right now that Bayless Jones is going to be in the top four. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. And we already know that he's, you know, whether he's going to be the number one returner or number one punt returner, that remains to be seen. If the, this group's got one thing – that on paper, they got some pretty damn good returners, both kickoff and punt, based on what they've done in college. Mm-hmm. And and Pringle, too. Pring, Pringle has been a pretty good punt returner. Uh, ESB has been a decent cover guy. Mm-hmm. Pringle has been a real good cover guy mm-hmm. yeah. as, as, as a gunner, as a gunner. Know, early in his career. So, um, but that that's how they're going to settle that number. I, I know that um, Harry had a cover kicks for New England mm-hmm. and, and did a pretty good job on that. He returned kicks in college and was better than adequate. In fact, by the way, I dug up remember last week, we talked about him and I dug up my report that I had on him. If you want me to. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Here's, let me, now I got to wait for it here. Oh yeah. Um, I love it. I love it when you read these scouting reports to us. Great stuff. What did I do with it? Oh heck, I got I I don't have it anymore. I put I got his combine results and oh wait, here it is. Here it is. Here it is. Let me I just gotta wait for my computer to bring this up here. Catch up, huh? Uh <laughs> so, I gotta I gotta tell you while you're waiting for your computer. <laughs> I got it. I got it. Okay, just real quickly, uh, Olin Cruz uh, retweeted the Ian Rappaport um, <laughs> report about Tevin Jenkins' phone calls, and so he posts this picture. <laughs> I can't see. It. I can't see it because I brought my thumb up. Oh, okay, and he's got a picture up, of okay. Ryan Pace. <laughs> of course, it's Ryan Pace calling about Tevin Jenkins. Anyway, uh, please go ahead. <laughs> okay, I got uh, size. I estimated because this was before the combine that this was mm-hmm. written. Estimated that he was 6035, 216, and ran 447. Well, he wasn't quite 6035. He was 6027. And at the combine, he weighed 228. At his pro day, he was 225. Mm. And then he ran, he only ran at the combine, he ran 452. So he wasn't quite as fast as I as he played. I said, 
Great size with long arms, well-built and strong, explosive athlete with speed, quick feet, change of direction, flexibility, and body control. Very productive. Has very good hands and adjusts to the ball very well. Makes the contested catch. Strong runner after the catch, willing blocker. Good route runner who can break down and get in and out of cuts. Open even when he's covered because of his size. Returns, punts, and kickoffs. Weak points. He's fast, but he's not four three in the four three range fast. Uh, when not the primary, there are times when he's not all in. Uh, did not play in the Arizona State Bowl game. He opted out. Uh, then I said summation. I said uh, Harry is a third year junior who was entering the draft. He was a top recruit out of high school and became a full time starter right away at Arizona State. He had very productive career, 213 receptions for 2,889 yards and 22 touchdowns. For a big receiver, he's quick and fast and better runner and a better runner than most. Very reliable as a returner or when used on reverses, jet sweeps, etc. While still a bit, of, bit raw as a route runner, he has excellent upside and could develop into a club's number one in time will be a matchup problem for many defenses because of his size and athleticism. If he works out well at the combine, that could very well determine where he gets drafted. And I had, you know, I had a first round grade. He went and ended up being like the last pick in the first round or second last pick in the first round. Um, so, but when, when me or any analyst writes a report, and I think I said this last week, we mm-hmm. don't have access to character, you know, unless somebody can give it to us, you know, you're not making a school call. And that was with him. And I had a little thing in there. Is he, you know, is he always all in? And I think that was the problem at new England. He wasn't always all in. Um, mm-hmm. He's supposed to be a smart guy, but you know, did he adapt to, being able to pick up that offense. And that's a very, very difficult offense. I think this this offense fits his game better than New England's offense. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's a wait and see. I mean, you know, I as I said last week, I love seventh-round picks. I, I, if I could have five of them every draft, I'd love it. Uh, the – but is it worth it? Yeah, it's worth it. It's worth it if he makes the team and he does something. If he's just going to be a guy that's going to, you know, we'll have to see. You know, he he knows it's, you know, last chance university right now. Mm-hmm. It is. And um, speaking of last, my last question for you comes from Chris Watts. Do you think NFL players are as tough as the players from the 1980s? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know if I know how to answer that. And they're tough. <laughs> they're a different, it's a different breed. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they're coached differently. Yeah. You know, it, it's, we had a coach with the Giants, Lamar Leachman, mm-hmm. who, if he was a coach today, He'd be fired the first day <laughs> um, because of the aggression he was teaching. No, just what comes out of his mouth. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and, and the way he says it, now, the players loved him. 
<laughs> but in today's yeah. politically correct uh, world, you know, you just can't say the things that he was saying. Yep. You know, I mean, just I can say a couple of things, but there's others, you know, I, I might tell you off the air, but I wouldn't tell you on the air. But, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd be watching the play and, and you know, Flus calls them low plays. Yeah. And, and Lamar would say, don't give me that union shit. shit. Oh yeah, that would uh, <laughs> not make him. Uh, and that was that. one of, and that was one of the <laughs> mild ones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Um, all right, I think we better pull the plug on this one because we could easily go another two hours, uh, but uh, we, we, we got to save our energy. It's a long season. <laughs> uh, any final thoughts, Greg? You want to say anything to your loving fans? No, I, I wanted to meet you out there um, this week, but under the conditions, I uh, I got to be in quarantine, I guess, for a few more days. Well, I've got passes for next week as well, so if you want to go, let me know, and okay. uh, we'll make arrangements. Uh, be nice. To I, have you. Um, I didn't even go to the gym today. That's how good I'm trying to be. Here. Oh, yeah, that, well, you know, you got to do some sacrificing when this crap happens, right? Yeah, that's right. And I, and I think I'm fine, but being that I'm exposed. Yeah. Well, and like, that's why I haven't worked out in the last five years, Greg, because of COVID. <laughs> uh, it's been, only been around for two and a half. Oh. So what's your excuse, what's your excuse for the, the, other, the two other two and a half? The flu. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, flu or something? Yeah. Uh, or are you going to go back as far as AIDS or something? You know, when that, yeah, that's you know, right. Hey, I, I don't, I don't want to get AIDS from touching those weights. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, everybody. This has been Gabriel Talks Football GTF. Let all of your friends know about this show. It's going to come out every Monday with some exceptions during the season. And it's, uh, there's an audio version that will be available about an hour after this video is done. And this video will be done in about 30 seconds. Goodbye, Greg. See you later. All right.